As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show and a show where we're checking in with Europe's top leagues at their respective halfway points or thereabouts. Are Man City going to defend their Premier League title and can Plucky Luton beat the drop? How long can Girona stay in the Liga title race? Is it a two-horse race in Italy? And can we contain Taylor Rockwell's enthusiasm when we talk about Leverkusen? Let's find out. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, the aforementioned Taylor Rockwell. Ciao, ciao, Taylor. Hello. Uh, yes, no, yes, and no, I believe are the answers to all the questions you asked. Okay, that concludes yep. the episode. <laughs> Let's, uh, See you thank later. you very much, listener, for joining us in this one. Just kidding. False ending. Very good device. Graham Ruffin, how are you? I'm very well, Ryan Bailey. I'm looking forward to talking about all the football we missed when we were, we were off. Because it has been a busy month of football across Europe, apart from in Germany, of course, where they have to carve out some time for Manuel Neuer's annual helicopter skiing trip. Um, so this yep, feels like a yep. good time to recap everything that's happening in the big European leagues. I'm hoping Taylor will have a little bit more to say than just yes, no, yes, no. I will. Uh, okay, good. I will. I, it, it is It is funny to me how, like, similar to how concerned I was about NFL players and concussions until I played fantasy football. And then I was like, come on, man, get back out there. Uh, we're very concerned about, uh, like, the fitness of players, the minutes they're being asked to yeah. play, fixture congestion. <laughs> and yet when the Bundesliga break happens, I'm like, come on, yeah. guys. Like, we make jokes about man when they're taking a break. And it's, it's odd how quickly that yeah. switch flips. To be fair, we did have a break also, as Graham's noted. <laughs> yeah, we're the Bundesliga of football podcasts. <laughs> we, we are indeed. We are indeed. Maybe we shouldn't have all gone on that luxury cruise for a couple of weeks, Graham. Yeah, uh, we should point. have stuck with the soccer. But anyway, uh, Joe Lowry also joining us. Joe, how are you, my dear? I'm great. I enjoyed that cruise paid for by Inter Miami and their apparent new shirt sponsor, the Trident, mm, uh, right. which, which produced maybe the single greatest TSS out of context quote of all time. Go check that out on the Discord. Also, Taylor. Thank you for mentioning fantasy football to team me up to say, to announce to our, no. our audience that cares. No. Taylor knows what's coming. I, I won my fantasy football league this year. I will say no more because no one even cared about that. But I had to get it off my chest because I oh. am, of course, a champion. I cared. It was the casual way that you'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm like 8-0 or something. No big deal. <laughs> like, it was just like, uh, don't, don't do that. 
Don't don't give me your false modesty. No big deal. We know how big of a yeah, deal that is. I crushed it. I destroyed the league. That's what in I year one. That's what barely I want. watched football. Let's go. This is well easy. done. Thank you. Uh, I assume you had McCaffrey, Joe. Nope, didn't. Wow. Didn't have McCaffrey did it okay. anyway. Yeah. Does do you, so? You still have fondness for Christian McCaffrey, even though he has betrayed your beloved Carolina Panthers. I, he doesn't want to I get beer on him, him or what? Joe, I pine yeah. for him yeah, nightly. That makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. I know exactly yeah, but, right, who you're cool. talking about. McCaffrey. That's the internet virus <laughs> Grim. software guy, right? Okay. Well, well that's right. Well, that's it. That's it. While we're doing sports stuff, that's not soccer. <laughs> what's up with this 16 year old darts player who looks 32? What's up? What with this is guy? that about? Yeah. yeah. Can yeah. someone explain this to me, please? Who's British? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I can explain it. I'm not sure I can explain the British obsession with darts at Christmas time either. Okay. But yeah, you pretty right. much covered it, Joe. Mm. He's 16 year old, Great. looks about three times that, and is good at darts. <laughs> Joe, did you also see the headline and then have difficulty figuring out like, like well, that's the, the ball kid? one. The ball one is clearly not the 16 year old, <laughs> but the one with like more than five o'clock shadow, who is clearly 36 years old, is also not quite 16 in my mind. Either. I saw I saw the clip on social media and I watched it twice. Yeah, yeah right. It sounds like, where's the kid? Does the 16-year-old show up at the end, or what's happening here? Yeah. Uh, the Sorry to jump in, gents. Should we go to European <laughs> soccer leagues and update the listener on, uh, uh, on them, fine. shall we? <laughs> I've got some more thoughts about the Panthers, if you want. But yeah, I guess we can nah. do European leagues instead. No, nah, let's uh, let's not do that, Taylor. How about we start talking about the Premier League? Uh, Joe, would you like to kick off with a little place of the Premier League where we're at roughly the halfway point? Liverpool leading the pack. They're five points ahead of Manchester City. Between those two... The Aston Village. How about that? Yeah, this is one of my biggest stories from the Premier League so far. The fact that number one, Aston Villa are second, which is crazy. We've talked about a bit, a bit about them on a recent Big Thing episode, but also Liverpool being top of the table. They finished fifth in the Premier League last year, 22 points behind City, 17 points behind Arsenal. I did not see them being top at this point of the year coming whatsoever. They've handled their roster turnover really, really well. The, the big piece that they lost over the summer, one of certainly, was Fabinho. And, and leaving has not really hurt Liverpool in terms of results. They pieced together a really strong midfield group in terms of Sobeschlai, Alexis McAllister, Gravenberch, and like they've brought in talented players in midfield. And the Trent Alexander-Arnold experiment in midfield has become more than an experiment. And he's very, very happy now, visibly, because he's playing well. He's like the second best chance creator on the, on the team from that midfield role. He's really happy in central midfield. Allison has been awesome as well. We should mention that Liverpool aren't in this spot without him. But you add all these pieces in the attack and all this fun, creative energy to Allison's ability to clean things up and still a strong defensive pairing in, in the middle of the back line. Liverpool don't have the best defense in the Premier League, but their attack has been elite and Allison's been good enough that they maybe can hang out here for a bit longer, even though I think we all believe eventually they're going to get passed up, as will Aston Villa. But them being in second is easily the craziest thing that's happened in the Premier League so far. I don't think that's a stretch whatsoever. Only three points behind Liverpool. They're tied for the second most goals in the Premier League with Liverpool, only behind Manchester City. That's insane. Like, they, we talked about them on the big thing. Like, they really do a good job of getting into central areas, exploiting that space in that middle vertical third of the field. They've got Super John McGinn. Graham, you're welcome. Who's been excellent this year, as has Douglas Louise in midfield. Ollie Watkins has been very, very good finding space in the, in the box as their number nine. I, I'm still waiting on the regression to come for Aston Villa. But, man, they're a part of this really awesome top of yeah. the Premier League storyline, title race, all that stuff. Like, this season would not be nearly what it is without the run that Aston Villa are on. Yeah, I agree, Joe, that they're, in the Premier League at least, they're the story of the season for me. The fact that we are 20 games into the season 
And I can't totally 100% discount them as title challengers because the results suggest that they, they, they should be in that bracket. Like, if you look through the results, Joe, I understand why you're saying that. But if you just look at the results objectively, they are producing the results that a title challenger would produce. That performance and result against Manchester City, which I think was at the start of December, I don't think I'd seen anyone do that to Man City for years. Probably going back to before Pep Guardiola, it was relentless from Villa. They battered Man City in that game. And then they did something similar to Arsenal as well. And they've beaten Tottenham away from home and Chelsea as well. Uh, I know they're not any any great shakes this season but nonetheless these are impressive results and if they can keep up that record against the big teams then they really will be up there and I'm interested to see what they do in January because it kind of feels like this might be a golden opportunity for them to do something special it seems like they've got a bit of money behind them from their owners and Yaki Williams has been linked uh, Jeremy Frimpong as well I've said before about Aston Villa that I think the, the fullback positions feel like an area that they could improve so if they could add a couple of first-team level players who can hit the ground running, which isn't easy, I know, but if they can do that, then who knows what this Villa team can achieve in the second half of the season. I can't totally discount them as title challengers yet. I suspect they will fall away, but right now I, I can't project that. Graham, if you wanted to feel more solid about them as a title challenger, who are the players you would like to see them go after, or what are the areas of need you think they might have? Um, I think fullback. So Luca Dean, Luca Dean has a very good crossing ability. Matty and, Cash slander, and Matty right? Cash Matty is Matty the Cash other slander. one. Yes, Matty Cash feels like. <laughs> I think we're going to talk about Dean Smith on a listener questions episode uh, later this week. He feels like a Dean Smith era Villa player and they could certainly upgrade on him. Jeremy Frimpong would be a real statement signing, but I've spoken about Frimpong before. I think he's a right wing back. And while Villa do like to push their fullbacks high, they don't really play with that back three. So I'd, I don't know. I think maybe the defensive vulnerabilities of Frimpong might be exposed in that team. But yeah, if they can find a top level right back in particular... And maybe a striker who can just add a little bit more firepower and account for the games where Ollie Watkins has maybe got an injury or suspended or they want to rest him. Those are the two positions I would look to in January. Taylor, um, there is a creeping feeling that Man City are just waiting to mm -hmm. leapfrog these two aforementioned Liverpool and Aston Villa teams. You think that's going to happen sooner rather than later? I do. I do. And I think we're, we're like maybe already... Uh, in that process, that process is already underway. They've got the game in hand. They're three wins and a draw in their last four games. They did have that loss to Villa that Graham mentioned prior to that moment. But it does just feel like they're going to get players back. They're going to get more players sort of getting into the system, understanding the system. There will be more fluidity with the way they play. Erling Holland has missed games. When he comes back in, I don't think it's possible to stop him from scoring. Uh, so it does feel like a team that will continue to find goals and find success and sort of grind their way to victories. And I saw a few different pieces argue that they have less depth. And maybe we even talked about this yesterday, that they don't have the depth of, say, a Liverpool or an Arsenal or even a Villa. And that feels odd to me to say about a Man City team that has more money than anyone or maybe than Newcastle or anyone but Newcastle, rather. Uh, but it just still seems like a team that could reinforce if they need to, but has depth, has talent and has just prior experience to not get nervous if they do drop a point here or drop a point there. It just feels like they will kind of be on with business as usual and eventually grind their way back to the top of the table. I, I hope Villa stay up there. I would love for Villa uh, to finish top of the table this season. I think that would be a great story. It just, I, I share the hesitation of some of my co-hosts that it seems like maybe they need a little bit more, a few more reinforcements. And maybe it's just that it, it's Villa under Unai Emery. And until they finish in the top four, it's going to be always like, hey, are we sure that's going to happen? And I think with Liverpool, 
I, maybe I dismissed them a little bit too easily yesterday uh, because they have been very strong. But losing Salah for a month, I think, is definitely going to hurt them. Um, and then it's just a matter of can they keep up if they get an injury here, an injury there? Are they able to cover for that? I think some of the signings haven't fully panned out yet either. So uh, that's where I end up sort of leaning towards Man City. My question for the group then becomes, who do you think uh, erroneously claims more credit for Villa this season? Steven Gerrard or Dean Smith? Gerrard, in, like, in their quiet circles is like, actually, I did that. I do kind of think it's Steven Gerrard. Yeah, because at least Dean Smith can claim, you know, I took Villa up to the Premier League. I gave up. Steven Gerrard did nothing. <laughs> he signed Philip Coutinho <laughs> for like way too much money. So, yeah, I don't think he can right. take credit Graham. for anything. He's he's one of the best paid managers in the world. How can you have credit for nothing? Come on. He's also coaching a team that has an average crowd of 700 in Saudi Arabia. So, <laughs> I talked to somebody over the break, by the way, who had tried to go to a game in Saudi Arabia. And they were saying that tickets cost like $1,000 per seat. Now, maybe that's for like Ronaldo's team or something. But I, I, I've never looked into the prices of tickets. And if they are prohibitively expensive, that might explain some of the lack of attendance, though I'm not sure it fully explains it. I have one quick question uh, for Joe. Joe mentioned Allison earlier. He mentioned him yesterday on the show. Maybe because I've missed so much time uh, because of paternity, and then we took the week off for the uh, the cruise around the world. But I feel like the last time we talked about Allison, I remember asking, like, is he a problem? Like, I think he made two or three big mistakes yeah. against Man City, I believe it was. So, Joe, you've talked about how reliable he's been, how stable he's been. What, what are what are you seeing? What are you feeling that I am not? Yeah, what we talked about after that game, and I don't remember mm-hmm. which one it was. Man City's probably a good shout there. Is that that was the anomaly? Yeah. Like Allison has okay. as enough really good performances with his feet, which is where some of the main issues stem from in that particular game. Certainly with his feet, but most importantly for a goalkeeper with his hands, right? Saving shots. He has been elite, like the best in the world or right up against it for years now. And he's not the top shot stopper in the Premier League at this point, but he has been fantastic so far this season still for Liverpool. I think he's in the top five based off of, you know, key shot stopping metrics. So yeah, that, that performance, I think, is just the one that we all yeah. sort of say, yep, that happened, it happens to everybody, let's move I on. I think if you ask Liverpool fans, they might tell you that this has been his best season so far, um, in the Premier League at least. So I think there might that might just have been a case of catching a bad game. I do remember that match. I can't remember what game it was, but he, he gave the ball away quite easily or he flapped at something. But yeah, I think that was an anomaly. It's definitely It was definitely City. He gives it to Holland, I believe, right. for a goal. that's it. Graham, check in on Tottenham and Big Ange. How are we feeling? Are we still... How, how, let's take the temperature to you, succession uh, parlance. Well, certainly hotter than it was towards the end of last season under Antonio Conte when it couldn't have been any colder. Obviously, Ange has made a pretty profound impact at Tottenham. So, obviously, they've fallen away since um, the early part of the season when they were top of the table. They're sitting in, in fifth right now. But I actually would look on the positive side of that, that they have absorbed so many blows with so many injuries to key players and of course injuries are going to happen we spoke about how Haaland and De Bruyne have been missing for Manchester City but with Spurs it felt like number one they didn't have the squad depth to begin with and number two the players that they lost were so key to the ideological transformation that had happened under Postecoglou. So players like Mickey van der Ven and James Madison and Yves Basuma, Basuma these were, that was like the spine of the team essentially. So the fact that they are, just looking at the table now, six points off the top. Some of those injured players are starting to come back. It seems like they might be quite active in the January window as well. And I think you can see from the way that Tottenham are, are playing 
that there has been a real shift in how, not just how they're performing, but how those players are thinking about matches and just how much fun it is to watch Spurs right now. I think it's been a pretty classic Premier League season so far in terms of the number of entertaining matches. And I swear about 50% of those matches have involved Tottenham Hotspur. I remember the Chelsea, the Spurs-Chelsea game and there's been a couple other. The North London derby, I think, was very entertaining as well. So yeah, I think the outlook for Spurs right now is pretty positive. And to be honest... Um, not to give myself too much credit, where they are now is kind of exactly where I expected they would be at this point of the season, where they're maybe not pushing for a title, but they are sort of in the top four mix and you can see the stylistic change that has happened under uh, Postacoglu. So yeah, pretty positive. All right. Uh, Joe, anything more to touch on on the Premier League before we uh, move on? Perhaps, uh, you know, Man United and Chelsea still doing vaguely hilarious things. Yeah, I talked about them a little bit on yesterday's show, so I don't feel the need to go in too deep here, but Man United in 8th, Chelsea in 10th. They spend a bunch of money. They don't win very many games. As a neutral, it's it's fun and funny. Uh, Taylor loves this, so let's move on. The other thing that I wanted to mention, and we'll get into this a little bit more later in the week as well, is Chris Richards now playing as a number 6 for Crystal Palace. I want to try to toss in a few American angles as we go through these different leagues, and this is the most interesting Premier League-related American story so far, on my view. Wasn't getting minutes for Crystal Palace at center back, and then all of a sudden is asked to deputize last minute as a defensive midfielder and has now started seven straight Premier League games in midfield. It's been super fun, and we'll get into more of the details later. I don't know if it's his long-term spot. Hint, it's not, actually. But it's been really cool to see him play and for him to be valued highly enough to be pushed into the lineup when they needed someone. I've really enjoyed that storyline from a U.S. perspective. It's just, it's nice to see Chris Richards actually on a soccer field. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to use uh, another American as a, a, a tangent here to talk about a team that I have surprisingly enjoyed watching over the last few weeks. So it's Bournemouth and the link is Tyler Adams. Now, of course, the caveat there is Tyler Adams isn't really playing for Bournemouth right now. He is injured, but he is, he is on their books. Um, but Bournemouth, not so long ago, it felt like Bournemouth were in trouble. It was them and the three promoted teams down the, at the bottom of the table. They didn't get their first league win of the season until their 10th match. But they've really kicked on since then. And I was quite excited about Antonio Areola moving to the Premier League because I'd enjoyed watching his Rio team last season. And I think we're now starting to see some of those principles in the way that Bournemouth are playing. It's a high energy, high risk style of play. And you can you can see that in some of Bournemouth's underlying numbers, things like ground covered, sprints made, progressive passes. They don't have a huge number of shots, but their XG per, per shot is pretty high. And a, and a number of players as well are thriving. So Ryan Christie's been excellent in central midfield. Marcus Tavenier seems to be getting better and better. And then one of the individual stories of the season in the Premier League is Dominic Solanke who has more goals than any other player in, in the Premier League besides Haaland and Salah. And it, it just seems like he, obviously we knew from an early age he had he had talent, but he's fulfilling that talent now. He's an excellent all-round number nine. I think the concern for Bournemouth is if he leaves in January because Arsenal and Tottenham both have been linked. But there's a lot for uh, Bournemouth to be excited about. And yeah, I just think it's worth highlighting a complete turnaround in their fortunes where I, in the first 10 games of the season, thought this was going to be a bleak one for them. I'm I'm now starting to think this is a top half finish for a very entertaining team to watch. Wow, very I think, nice. I think that's a very positive uh, uh, depiction of Bournemouth and an accurate one at that. Uh, my negative when it comes to Bournemouth is about Tyler Adams. Uh, I'm getting a slight uh, creeping fear that we might not see Tyler Adams at his full best for a while, maybe ever. Uh, the Two hamstring surgeries in a year has me nervous. Talking to ex-pros who have had to go undergo surgeries for their hamstring. It is a an invasive procedure, certainly, but also one that 
unless I am incorrect, which I may well be, but from the the like few people I've spoken to, it does feel like it is almost a last resort sort of thing of a like we cannot figure out what else to do we're going to try to repair this surgically and that can be positive but can also lead to unforeseen consequences or just discomfort or pain that can be managed but it's still a limiting thing so i do have some concern about that hamstring and how long he has been out and the number of surgeries uh I would rather he take his time and maybe come back in like April uh, and hopefully that gives him the, the time to recuperate fully. I think maybe I'm just scarred by Owen Hargraves coming back and immediately like tearing his hamstring again after his like third surgery and that being the end of him. I don't think we're at that point with Tyler Adams, but it is something that has me slightly anxious about an otherwise strong season for Bournemouth. Well, it wasn't strictly the end of him. He did survive uh, Owen Hargreaves, to be fair. <laughs> did but, uh, he I get your Well, point. barely. Well, he has to sit in a studio alongside Robbie Savage see? on British TV. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Graham, real quick before the break, uh, Luton, Burnley and Sheffield United occupying the relegation spots. Do you think after 38 games it looks the same way? Can Luton do it? Um, I think Burnley and Sheffield United, I only see relegation in their future. Burnley are doing this weird thing where a lot of their underlying numbers are quite positive and I've watched a few of their games and they do like to have con- control of matches and they have a lot of the ball, but I, I just don't see them scoring enough goals to, to stay up. They don't seem to have uh, like a reliable goal scorer in, in their team. I'm more positive on Luton, to be honest. Luton have found something, a little bit of an identity. They're strong at home. They're good on the counter-attack. They've got physical threat through Carl- Carlton Moore. Morris and uh, as the centre forward, Ross Barkley as well, good physicality through the centre of, of the pitch, Andros Townsend, it's all these kind of washed up Premier League players that they're given a final chance to, they've rejuvenated a few of them, so it wouldn't totally shock me if Luton managed to clamber their way out of 18th place, but then looking at the teams above them, I'm struggling to work yeah. out who's finishing in the bottom three ahead of them, so yeah, I think I, I, I would project the bottom three to stay as it is until the end of the season. I would have said definitely Everton a few months ago, but as I talked about yesterday, I do feel like Sean Dyche has has led a pretty strong turnaround, even with the 10-point deduction. And yes, they've lost three in a row, but that is not as bad as Brentford, who have lost five in a row. Maybe they're the other contender here. Maybe it's Nottingham Forest, although they've made a change yeah. and have gotten the new manager bounce. Uh, so who who knows what will happen? Pa- but I think, yeah, it's probably Brentford or Forest, in my mind, competing with Luton for that final. Palace spot. are also sinking quite quite quickly, but I just think if How they get you? in... How dare you? <laughs> if they get into trouble, they'll they'll just sack Roy Hodgson for like the fifth time in the last Big two Sam. years. Big Sam. Big Sam. Big oh Sam. yeah, sure, that's the guy you want to call in that situation. Uh, Brentford Rooney. have Ivan Tony. Rooney. Rooney. <laughs> 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 I like that shout. I'm sure that happened to one of my football manager saves at some point. Uh, Brentford, you're right, Taylor. They are on a bad run right now, but they've got Ivan Tony to come back this month. So I feel like that might make a difference. And be sold to someone else, possibly. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see about that one. Graham. Potentially, yes. Yeah. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, why don't we turn our attention to Spain? Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our EuroLeagues update. We turn to the Liga now. Where, Joe Lowry? We see Real Madrid occupying top spot. But what's this? Equal on points with them as we record. Girona still doing it, knocking out a good midweek result as we record. That was such well, a good Joe. game, by the way. Sorry to jump in. I don't know if anyone caught that. It was one of the games of the season. I had great fun watching that last night. Yeah, ridiculous. I didn't watch the whole thing, but ridiculous back and forth. Morata with a hat trick for Atleti and then Girona still come back and they get the winner in second half stoppage time. It, it is their most entertaining, certainly, game of the year so far. But I also want to give credit to Girona, not just for where they are on the table right now, but for doing something that I, I really wasn't sure they could the last time we talked about Girona, which was get another statement win, right? When we talked about this team on the big thing, the idea was, yes, they're in a really good spot in the Liga right now. They're top of the table. Their story is fascinating, not necessarily fairy tale esque because of the CFG backing, but because they've gone out here and risen really, really quickly. Going from promoted to 10th to second within just a few years is crazy. But... I didn't know if they could get these marquee wins, right? Because they really didn't have any, didn't have a lot the last time we talked about them. And all of a sudden they come out and they get a marquee win against Atleti. They've beaten Barcelona. It is awesome to watch as a neutral. Yeah, the the CFG stuff kind of takes out some of the joy. I mentioned that a little bit, but some really smart transfers, a bright young winner, winger in Savino. Like, they're not going to win La Liga if we're honest. And I, I kind of feel the same way about Girona as you do about Aston Villa. But to be at or near the top for this long, if you're a Girona, if you're a Girona fan, has to be like the most incredible experience. And I think the bigger picture storyline to sort of park this here, for me at least, is not necessarily Girona winning the title this year. Although if it happens, obviously that will be a big deal. But I think it's more, if we look out five or 10 years into the future, more about if they can become La Liga's fourth club, right? For a long time now, it's been Real Madrid, Barcelona as the top two, then Atleti is number three. Can Girona be number four with a bunch of financial muscle now from CFG? Real systemic and seemingly smart changes that they're making, not just on the sporting side, but on the front office. Now they're looking to upgrade infrastructure around the club and the stadium and all that stuff. Can these changes in a decade lead us to have Girona as that fourth team in La Liga? I think it is very possible. Chile. Exactly. That's the thing. I've seen a few accounts tweeting about them as though they are this like plucky underdog who are finding a way to keep pace with Real Madrid and Barcelona. And it's just like, they, they probably have more money than Barcelona at this point. Like, it, it, it's an so odd way, one. Taylor. But... <laughs> 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 it's funny because it's at their expense. Um, so I, I think it's a, it's a great story. I, I think Joe has nailed it. That, like, that is the interesting thing aside from the title races. Will they stay there? Will they be there? I doubt this is another Malaga when Malaga have all the money and we think, oh, maybe there's going to be this team that finally challenges and then they implode and go away forever. It does seem yeah. like uh, Girona are much more likely to stick around. I also asked yesterday if like what like or said yesterday that I wasn't entirely sure what the pronunciation is. I looked it up. Girona is a Catalan word. So it's Je. So there we go. Apologies for ever calling it anything other than Girona. Yeah. You know how you get told with musicians and actors to separate the art from the artist. I mm-hmm. feel like I'm doing that with Girona this season where uh, their games are so entertaining, and, yep. and like last night, they're four three up. They score that 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 uh, that late goal through Martin. 
93rd minute winner or something like that. 95th minute, they are sending six players forward on a on a on like a counter attack yeah. to try and find another goal. I just love that about them. And if I'm being slightly cynical and pragmatic, I think that sort of thing might cost mm-hmm. them in a title race. There will be a game where they mismanage a match, and I just I just count on Real Madrid to manage manage games and manage a situation much better, largely because they've got better players. Um, but their matches in an individual sense are just so entertaining of every weekend i'm now looking for Jona games that's a great that's a great point graham okay i will separate them except i will always uh give credit where credit is due and i give credit to daily blint uh who scores uh the i guess equalizer no the go-ahead goal that then uh like sees them pulled back it's confusing he scores a goal (laughs) in this game uh but looking up daily blint so he leaves manchester united in I believe at the end of the 2018 season. So it's been four and a half seasons since he left. Can you all guess how many league titles he has won in that time? So he was at Ajax. Uh-huh. Um, he was in Germany for a bit, wasn't he? Somewhere in- he was indeed. He's won four. He won three yeah, with Ajax and one right. with Bayern Munich. So it's clear huh. that Daley Blint is the player that you sign at his advanced stage to come in, be a veteran leader, and win you the title. So if Girona end up winning... I think Daily Blind gets at least like 40% yeah. of the credit. Yeah, and he's been legit good for them this year, Taylor. Not just the goal. I think that put him up 3-1, if my math is, you is are correct. correct. Yeah. Uh, which is a big goal to go 3-1 up against Atletico Madrid. But like he's been not just good because he's a good player, but he also fits the role so well for Michel as this kind of left-sided center back in some games, as a left-back center back hybrid in other games, as a left-back in other games. Like He can do all of those things and has done for many teams in the past, but he fits the, the sort of system that Michelle wants to play so well. Speaking of Michelle, I saw a headline today, <clears throat> Graham, it's happening, uh, that Newcastle, there are rumors that they are starting to get frustrated with Eddie Howe. There are rumors that they are looking elsewhere. And one of the stories I saw was that Michelle has been sounded out about an interest in going to Newcastle. Is there any way that happens with Girona in a title race and also being owned by City yeah, Football there's Group. Some, Is there any way he goes to Newcastle? That feels ridiculous. There's some sort to of me. geopolitical undercurrent going yeah. on there that might that might uh, prevent that from happening. But he's he's all done right. an ex- an excellent job. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if if other clubs are, are are having a look at him. The big one, of course, being Barcelona have been linked with him. Xavi Hernandez under under pressure. If he were to get sacked before the end of the season or even in the summer, Michel would surely be somewhere on that shortlist. Uh, Joe, should we turn our attention to 2024 Champions League winners Real Madrid? Uh, Karim who? Yeah, honestly though, that is that's the big Real Madrid thing for me this year so far. It's not that they are inevitable because come on, we already knew that, but it's maybe how they've been inevitable this year. Karim Benzema goes and, and flies off to Saudi Arabia. Okay, great, whatever. And my question is, who's the replacement going to be? Right? They bring in Hosalu, who is a, a body but not a replacement. Right? I think that distinction is important to make. So the the question is, at that point, how is this going to turn out, right? Like, where are the goals going to come from? From central areas. Because Vinicius Jr. is going to score. Rodrigo's going to score some goals. It, Jude Bellingham is the answer. Doing something that he's never done at this level in his career, which is just score a crap ton of goals. He's done exactly that this year. Like, I, I didn't have Jude Bellingham scoring 13 goals by the new year on my bingo card for this year. Maybe I should have. I assume, Ryan, you did as, as an Englishman. But, like, this has been absurd. And we've we've given Jude Bellingham plenty of love this year. I guess last year. I, I think we will continue to do so, even though we all agree the scoring is going to taper off. But that Real Madrid have made it through half of the season without gen, genuinely without missing yeah. Karim Benzema. Like that is mind-boggling to me and I would never ever have expected that. 
Joe, the way you've just described Hosolu is, first of all, accurate. Second of all, <laughs> yeah, sorry, Hosolu, my bad. That's how I'm now picturing, Florin- I'm yeah. picturing Florentino Perez like saying that straight up to him, and that conjures the the image of like uh, from the Beckham documentary when Beckham goes into Perez's office the towers. and, and he, sh- he shows him the towers, and he's sure. like, "You were one of those towers." I picture Perez like pointing to a cab stand on like a one story <laughs> cab stand, like that, that is you. you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm picturing Hosolu listening to this podcast. He's come through La Fabrica, Real Madrid. He's went out to Espan. He's become a Spanish international. He's earned his big move back to Real Madrid, and we're calling him a body. Yeah, it feels fitting. But actually, it is fitting, Joe. Get why you're saying that. Oh, boy. Um, Taylor, they're good and stuff. It's fine. They defy logic, though, Real Madrid. Like, when you look at their team. They really do. When you look at their team and their formation, I remember when they used that formation the first few games, and I'm like, well, this is never going to work. It's worked so well. That midfield, obviously Bellingham has been the star, but I think it's been overlooked just how well Real Madrid's midfield unit has been working this season. When everyone's fit, it's been Chiumene, Valverde and Camavinga and the ground that they cover is just incredible the way that Camavinga and Valverde they provide the width and they keep the pitch wide and yet somehow uh, Chiumene manages to handle everything himself in the middle and then they've brought in Kroos and Modric at at, at smart times because obviously they're into the twilight of their careers they can't really play together anymore but they've been brought into the team in in an intelligent way and then just having Rodrigo and Vinicius running in behind causes chaos so they've been they have been so good at this point in time. I suspect Man City are going to round the corner as they always do in the new year. But as as we sit right now, Real Madrid have been the best team in Europe this season. They're top of the Liga. They won six from six in their Champions League group, and some of their perform performances as well have been absolutely sensational. Yeah, uh, Taylor, switching gears to Barcelona, they. Over the last few seasons, it seems like they've been Teflon-coated when it comes to the consequences of their financial actions. Uh, they are 10 points behind Real Madrid as, as we speak. Um, uh, how many more levers are they going to pull? What's what's going on at Barcelona at the moment? I'm not even sure they're allowed to pull levers anymore. I think they were allowed to pull the one because of the injury to Gavi, which b- brought them a semi-replacement striker or will in January. Uh, but it does feel like... Real Madrid can defy all logic or Barcelona can defy all logic, but they can't both do it at the same time. And since Real Madrid are taking up that slot, as Graham pointed out, Barcelona are sort of, I I feel like, sort of performing more realistically this season. And there's a part of me, I don't know why I have like schadenfreude about this, but there's a part of me that is slightly enjoying the downturn in form for Robert Lewandowski. I think just because the way he comes in with other players like actively being forced out of the club, there had to have been a like, well, surely that won't happen to me. I mean, it's happened to everyone else, but I'm Robert Lewandowski, and now here we are with him in a bad run of form, and a lot of speculation that he's going to be dropped, a lot of sort of fingers being pointed in his direction as to why things aren't going well, and it's just an interesting situation, I think, for Barcelona, Uh, and then maybe also for Robert Lewandowski as Harry Kane scores I think in the time that I've been talking, Harry Kane has scored four more goals and the Bundesliga is on break. I don't know how he's done that, but he's found a way. Yeah, I I thought you were going to say for Bobby Loves, Taylor, that it's because of the TikTok dances and we're all sort of just preying on his downfall. His his form is massively upturned in that respect, I would say. uh, I don't know if I'd I'd go that far. Barcelona, (laughs) one of the levers that they have pulled recently that we haven't talked about on the show, I don't know if you guys saw this or not. Uh, Let me take you back to 2023. December, December 20th. A 3-2 win for Barcelona against Almeria in Barcelona. Good, solid, somewhat routine 3-2 Barcelona win at this point, where they score goals and let in a couple. Uh, Thursday, December 21st, 3-2 loss to Club America in Dallas, Texas. 
like 24 hours mm-hmm, after they mm-hmm. play a La Liga game, they fly across the Atlantic Ocean to Dallas, Texas to take on a Liga MX team in a friendly. Xavi is this quote after the game saying, we know the club situation. We all have to row in the same direction to sustain the club financially. Literally, that's how they got the, over the Atlantic. L- literally, like the, the players are being asked <laughs> to put in shifts on the rowboat. Like th- this is trickled down the organizational mismanagement has not just trickled down to the players in terms of like there aren't as many good ones as Real Madrid, but it's trickled down to the players in that we, yeah, I know they flew on a fancy plane, whatever, yada, yada, yada. But like that they're being asked to do something that the Real Madrid players, their their biggest title challengers historically are, are not being asked to do. Like the players are disadvantaged to the point where they're playing Club America on a Thursday in December 24 hours after taking, it's probably a little more than that, but you get the idea after taking on Almeria in La Liga, like, it's, it's absurd. Poor, Barcelona are uh, comical. Poor Pedri. He's looking forward to his winter break. His first break in years. <laughs> nope. Off to Texas, son. I hope they didn't fly in a fancy plane, Joe. I hope they had to do, like, a six-hour layover in Anchorage and they would have to watch Lewandowski do more TikToks in the airport hallway. That's my nightmare. Genuinely, <laughs> that is my nightmare. He is so... I'm not a good dancer. I've got nothing. I've got nothing in me. Um, Bobby Lewandowski looks like what I would look like doing TikTok dances, and I'm sensible enough not to do them. That's the key. Fair enough. Um, Sevilla, Joe. They are quite a lot lower in the league than we would expect. They're in 16th place, <laughs> hovering one point above the relegation zone currently. What happened? Uh, yeah, so there's a whole Big Thing episode in here, unless we've done it and I've just forgotten about it. I don't think we have. Uh, involving shareholders and a former president going to jail and the club losing money hand over fist and f- hand over fist hand over fist. That's how like, much there are. There are systemic <laughs> problems here as well. Shocker! Not all these clubs are very well run. So if you have sort of or, or had sort of betrayed their model of buying low and selling high, and they tried to go all in for a while, and that involved. Uh, Papu Gomez and Rakitic getting Rakitic back. So there, there's a whole layers of problems here that go on for years. Changes in transfer strategy, all that stuff. Their drop has been crazy. Going from fourth place in 2022, so that the end of that 21-22 season, to 12th place last year, to 16th place this year. It has been a wild ride for Sevilla fans, and I, I'm not sure things are going to get better for them before they get worse. One other quick La Liga thing for me, because I know we got to take a break or move on, whatever. Uh, for Americans, to, to shoehorn more USMNT content into this episode, Johnny Cardoso just moved from Brazil to Real Betis. So now it is both Johnny Cardoso and Luca De La Torre. Those are the two US players in uh, in La Liga. Celta Vigo, Luca De La Torre's club are in the relegation zone. So maybe next year it will be one and not two. Who knows? But there is now another American to watch in Spain. They're out of it, Joe. They're out of the relegation zone. Oh, excellent. They did it. They did Let's it. Let's go. Let's end the season now. They're they're out by one point at Cadiz's expense. Sorry, Cadiz. Suck it. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> spicy. Uh, let's turn our attention to Italy, shall we? In Serie A, we have Inter leading at the moment. Juventus trailing them in second place, and Milan uh, in third place with thirty-six points. Uh, Graham, the uh, American players doing very well in Italy at the moment. Christian Pulisic um, getting assists and goals all over the place. Got another assist in the Coppa Italia this midweek. He was played as a trequartista through the middle when he came on in that one as well. So being a bit more versatile for Stefano purely as well. Exciting times for the Americans in Italia. Indeed, Pulisic obviously spearheading that contingent in Serie A. As you say, Ryan, um, as we're recording, he's in excellent form. I think he's got three goals and three or four assists in his last seven games. In, in all competitions so he is becoming the difference maker that we thought he would be for Milan when he joined 
in the summer. Yunus Musa, it, it's been a little bit, I was going to say tougher for him, um, but only because he's not playing as, as, as many games. He's not getting as much uh, regular action as, as Pulisic is. But that's kind of what we expected from Yunus Musa in this team. So I wouldn't even say it's going badly for him. And then looking at Juventus with Weston McKenney, I, and we are of course there as well, Wes McKinney, I kind of wrote off at the start of the season. I think it was Taylor, um, and Joe might have went along with this as well, but said, Wes McKinney will find a way into this Juventus team. I clearly underestimated Wes McKinney. That, that, I think that was a joke. That might have been Joe. Credit to you. It was, it was one of the t- I'll take it. I don't remember who said it. <laughs> well, it was one of the two of you that said it. I, I remember because I found it a little bit surprising. I, I kind of thought he was done at Juventus. He is not done at Juventus. He is contributing in a big way to a Juventus team that similar in a sense to Real Madrid defy logic but kind of on the other end of the spectrum of of that statement where they don't score a lot of goals they're not entertaining to watch but they're getting results and they're in that title race at the at the top of the Scudetto so Wes McKenney is someone who has been rejuvenated in a way that I didn't expect and I guess Max Allegri as well has uh, had similar turnaround in fortunes yeah. Can I say, by the way, McKenney's Italian is very good. There's some clips out there on a recent podcast. I saw that and he was defending yeah. uh, American tastes or American interpretations of pasta, I believe. And the well, Italians just, were yeah. disgusted. Actually, I was on his side with, on this one. He was he was saying it was like pesto chicken pasta or something. He'd have that regularly. Yeah. And the Italians he on was, the show were absolutely horrified at that suggestion. That's fine, surely. It, it, was, oh, yeah. it was quite something. He All he wanted to do is add chicken to his pasta, which in yep. Italy is a no-no. And they're all going, oh, kiss give for which was like that's gross. Like, and they're young, they're young people. They're not like older traditional folk or anything. It's uh, it's, it's, hey, it's Italy. an amusing clip. Hey, Italy. The tomatoes a new world fruit. Thank you very much. Like, you didn't invent tomato Damn. sauce. Is all I'm saying. How dare you? Let the, let the man have chicken on his pasta. It's fine. Taylor, lay off the Italians for once, will you? Come on. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so many rules. So many rules. And if you break the pasta before you boil it, straight that's to jail. Basically, that's basically a war crime in Italy. Yeah. I think. Can I talk about one of my favourite stories in Serie A? Joe's talked about Americans. Can I talk about a Scottish player just for a moment? And a team that I've enjoyed watching as well. So Bologna. Is he a record-breaking Scott, Graham? He is indeed. Is so Lewis Ferguson is the, the Scott that I'm talking about here. He's the highest scoring Italian, excuse me, Ita- uh, Scottish player in Italian football um, ever, overtaking Dennis Law. That doesn't sound like a huge statistic but there are actually some good Scottish players who have played in in Italy Um, but Bologna he plays for Bologna he's Bologna captain they are flying high together with Fiorentina those are the two teams trying to crash the top four in Serie A this season Bologna they don't score a huge number of goals but I have watched them a few times largely because of Lewis Ferguson I find them entertaining to watch in their own way so Thiago Motta is their their manager he likes to use a pretty intense man marking approach and and that's largely how they create chances because I don't think they're a team with a natural creator they like to win the ball high up the pitch and then use that in the attack and I guess that's the entertaining part of their approach and Lewis Ferguson as I say he, he has probably been their best player this season a Scotland international still only 24 and while he's he's not always been the most obviously talented player he came through at Hamilton and Aberdeen he didn't play for like Celtic or Rangers I'm, I'm really starting to get excited about how high he could go because Juventus apparently are, they're being linked with him and that would be pretty cool and I think Thiago Motta to shift it to him I think he's the overall real success story of this Bologna team um, this season he's got some interest, interesting tactical ideas he's talked about playing seven in attack I want to see him do that in a game this season but he also just has that sort of intangible thing that certain ex-players have where you just know they're going to be an, uh, an elite level manager I think Xabi Alonso has a similar 
similar sort of thing and Tiago Mota has it as well so that would be the the risk for Bologna is that he goes to a richer bigger club at some point in 2024 but right now they are they are flying high they are Bologna up in fifth doing very well Fiorentina also with uh, the brilliantly named Vincenzo Italiano in charge uh, in very good form the greatest Italian name of all time Joe any other um, Italian uh, points to hit on maybe Napoli who are the defending champions and are down in what I call the Roma zone and they're in eighth place (laughs) that is the the Roma West Ham zone depending on which country you're in yeah (laughs) Napoli have fallen off real hard this year (laughs) Osiman and Cavaradonna both scoring noticeably less this this year on a per 90 minute rate Mid-season managerial change complicates things. You know, whether that was right or wrong doesn't really matter when you think about the results that they're in right now. Big teams in a slump as well in uh, in Serie A this year. Last year, Napoli... Uh, excuse me, sorry. Big teams in a slump in the league last year, which made Napoli's win easier, right? They had that thing wrapped up a bit earlier. Less so this year. So last year, Napoli was at a 2.37 points per game pace. The next closest team based off of points per game was Lazio at one84 this year, there's a bunch of really good teams in Serie A, and Napoli are paying the price as being just under sort of that tier. This year, Inter's at a 2.5 point per game pace. Juve's at 2.39. Milan's at two points per game. Like Napoli's downfall is made to look worse by the fact that last year, there really weren't a lot of good competitors in the league, not to discount what the Milan teams did in the Champions League. And all of a sudden this year, there's a bunch of like good to great teams in Serie A, and Napoli feel like, with Osimhen and Cavardana not scoring the same goals that they did last year, feel like they're outside of certainly the great tier and maybe even the good tier as well. Inter are, are in, in my mind, going to win this whole thing. Juve still have absolutely a chance to do it as well. Only two points back, Juve on 43, Inter on 45 at the top of the table. But Inter have been, in my mind, the best team. You look at how they play and how efficient they are in the attack and how good they are defensively. Like they've allowed just eight goals so far this year. They have a better defensive record than Juventus and certainly have a better attacking record as well. I think with Marcus Taram, who's been a great ad for them from Gladbach, and some of the other players that they already had in this team under Inzaghi, I think this is Inter's title to lose. Indeed. And Inter, I believe, Joe, as we record, bringing in old uh, Taj Buchanan, uh, Canadian yep. winger. That's right. Coming Syri- in Syracuse's own, Ryan, to match your shirt today. Cheers. <laughs> Wonderful. And this, uh, my Morning and Orange shirt listener, it's actually an AFC Richmond shirt, Joe. There you go. There's the crest. Mm, no, no, that's not right. Go on. That's good. Okay. Yep. Fine. Yep. Fine. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk Bundesliga. We'll go around the rest of Europe back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Welcome back to Total Soccer Show and our European League's update. Shall we go to Germany, Taylor? Who's top there? What's going on? Hmm? Huh? Who is it? Xavi Alonso and only Xavi Alonso. No, it's Bayer Leverkusen who have been excellent this season. Uh, I missed the episode that you all did about them, which 
Felt personal, even though you did sort of ask if that was allowed. I appreciate that, gentlemen. Uh, and it was a lovely episode as well. But they have been super fun, uh, and they are the sort of underdog story. I've talked about Bayer Leverkusen many times on this show as being a team that I expect to be third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh, but not really in the top two, certainly not at the top of the table, but there they sit. Uh, it will be an interesting January for them. Uh, can they hold on to Jeremy Frimpong, who Graham mentioned previously? There's been a few links, and I think he does have a release clause that allows him to leave in January, uh, and it's a lower release clause than might be expected. Uh, and then the other big question, Victor Boniface has gone to the African Cup of Nations that starts... The 11th or the 13th, I think, of January, when play resumes in the Bundesliga. Assuming Nigeria make a decent run, which I think they will, he will be out for a sustained period of time, which leaves Patrick Schick as the likely replacement who will need to score some goals. And there was some concern about whether or not he could do that. But because Xavi Alonso is a magician who is also apparently uh, a charismatic genius... He has found a way to make Patrick Schick good again. Uh, he scored a hat trick uh, in his in his first start with Boniface uh, still playing, but it does feel pretty strong that Patrick Schick getting a hat trick and a four 0 win over Bochum is maybe a positive sign that things will continue for Leverkusen into the new year. So you're enjoying Schick stick, is what you're saying, Taylor? I am indeed. I am indeed. Excellent I didn't know the Euros when he scored. No, because he scored in the halfway line against Scotland at the Euros at Hamden Park did. two years that ago. That was awesome. <laughs> no, I it forgot wasn't, about Joe. that. Sorry, Graham. That was a crazy goal. I completely yeah, forgot about that. That was. Oh, wow. Were you there, Graham? I see No, remember. I wasn't there. It was COVID times. Barely anyone was there, thankfully. We just pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> Speaking of COVID, <laughs> uh, a thing that I was checking out. I wonder if Yunus Musa has had, has had COVID. He missed Milan's last three games, all of it with virus. And he's been out since like mid-December. So hopefully he's feeling okay. Hopefully he is back soon. And hopefully his lungs are doing just fine. Yeah. Wouldn't surprise me just because everyone I know basically has had COVID over Christmas. I've somehow avoided yeah. it to date. But yeah, it feels like it's sweeping through again. All right. Graham, how about them Bayern Munichs? Uh, Harry Kane's still scoring billions of goals and uh, they are four points behind Leverkusen, as we record. They have a game in hand. Mm -hmm. Um, When their break eventually finishes in three to four months' time, how do you think they're going to come back to it? Uh, They're probably going to do a Man City, aren't they, and just blow away the competition. The thing about Bayern Munich is that their season has been slightly different to Man City's in that they're playing well. The results are good. You look at how many games they've lost in the Bundesliga this season. They've lost one from 15. They've won 12 and drawn two. Harry Kane is breaking all sorts of goal-scoring records. I think he's sitting on 20 goals. Um, at this pace, he will comfortably beat Robert Lewandowski's single-season um, goal-scoring record in the in the Bundesliga, and that that's the real story with Bayern Munich this season. It might be a little bit simplistic, but that is the story with them this season. Harry Kane coming into that team, not just the goals that he is scoring, but how he's getting players like Serge Gnabry and uh, in particular Leroy Sané, who's finally flourished into the player that. Bayern Munich thought he was going to be when they signed him two years ago. He is getting more out of those wide players, which makes some tactical sense because, of course, Kane likes to drop deep. He then creates the space for wide players to spin into. Bayern Munich have very good wide players. So it feels like that team is certainly more complete with Harry Kane in there. They still want a new number six. They wanted Jao Polinho in, 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 in the summer from Fulham. That deal fell through. Doesn't seem like they're going to return for him in January. They've been linked with some other players in that position. So if they're going to make a move in January, it feels like the central midfield area will be where they spend that money. But I think that just underlines the strength, the position of strength that Bayern Munich are in right now, that you look through that whole squad, there's kind of only one deficiency in that in that whole squad that they have at the moment, and it is that sort of number six position. Two things. The first, I forgot sort of about the Polina transfer and how 
crazy that was, Byron's deadline day was not great. And I believe that is one of the rare examples where we have the player being photographed holding up the Byron shirt, and then the deal collapses because Fulham couldn't find a replacement, or so goes the story. And it is an odd thing to talk about Bayern Munich being second in the table at this point in the season, just because they so often are uh, at the top, comfortably so. But Graham, to your point, it, it's especially strange to talk about them being second, but not being poor. Uh, the Gagan Pressing Podcast did a very good sort of this season so far summary for each team. They gave them a letter grade. And a point they made is that uh, Stuttgart, who are in third, the Two times they have won the title, I believe. Uh, they had this many points at this point in the season. Uh, and so that should be a like record-breaking yeah. uh, pace for them. And they are third uh, because Bayern have been so good so consistently because Bayern Leverkusen have yet to lose a game this season. So it's basically the top two just being excellent and the third-place team also being pretty solid. I also think RB Leipzig are going to be more consistent in the second half of the season. I think that they will stay in the top four. Uh, and I think maybe it's Stuttgart who fall out. We shall see. But it's it's just been a really interesting Bundesliga season so far. Long may it continue. Yeah, you mentioned Stuttgart there, Taylor. Serhu Jurassic has been one of the, the, the success stories of, of this season in Germany. He's obviously a big reason why Stuttgart are having such a good campaign. He's got 17 goals in 14 games. If it wasn't for Harry Kane, I mean, there has been quite a bit of chatter around Jurassic, and I think there has been some yeah. speculation that Arsenal and Manchester United, and I think West Ham as well, are interested. I read one article that says for a non-Bundesliga team, his release clause this month is £16 million. That could be a bit of a problem for Stuttgart holding on to him. But there would be even more chatter about him if it wasn't for Harry Kane because his numbers have been sensational. And he's he's a he's sort of an excellent all-rounder in that he's good with both feet. He's got aerial ability. He's also got that natural knack of knowing where to be at the right time. Seems to get a lot of chances in around the, the penalty box, which I know will please Joe. Um, so I do have questions over how Stuttgart cope if they lose Jurassic for the second half of the season because stating the obvious taking that number of goals out of that team is going to have a big impact but for now for the time being Stuttgart have been another feel-good success story this season in the Bundesliga uh, speaking of feel-good success stories Joe how about oh no the opposite of that Union Berlin what's yeah, going on there yeah this is the second time I'm going to use the word fairy tale on today's show and neither one really ended up working out I mean last year was Union Berlin's fairy tale absolutely they finished fourth in the Bundesliga, they make it to the Champions League. They get that uh, group group stage matchups against Real Madrid, which is awesome. They've come crashing back down to earth this year. They're closer to the relegation zone than they would like to be, which that zone starts at 16th in the Bundesliga. So just, just as a reminder there for listeners, only 18 teams in the Bundesliga. They, based on salary spend, which we know has some sort of correlation to success in European top leagues, Based on salary spend, they're a mid-table team in the Bundesliga, at least from the publicly available data online, which is something we should take with a grain of salt, but I don't think any of us would be surprised if that's the case. Uh, if you sort of average this year, where they're relegation-threatened, and last year, where they finished fourth, you get a mid-table team. And I, I, I sort of think that we're seeing the two extremes for Union Berlin right now. A big problem for them is that Geraldo Becker just isn't scoring goals. So he was huge for them last year and has not been whatsoever this year. The new signings broadly haven't changed games for them. And that very much includes Brendan Aronson. And this is where I'll do my quick USMNT tie-in to close out my Bundesliga thoughts, at least. It has been a bad time for Americans in the Bundesliga this year. 
Uh, Brendan Aronson no longer a starter for Union Berlin, and it doesn't seem like they're terribly happy that he's there at all. Paxton Aronson has just about 300 minutes across the Bundesliga and the Europa Conference League. For Eintracht Frankfurt, this has not been his breakout season at all. Kevin Paredes, same exact story for him, 350 minutes in the Bundesliga. For Wolfsburg, Gio Reyna, we talked about, I think, on yesterday's show, isn't playing much at all for Borussia Dortmund right now. Jordan Pifak hasn't been changing games for Gladbach. The, the one sort of silver lining that I've found is Joe Scally, who continues to be a regular for Gladbach, is now getting minutes as an outside center back, which I think is a, a perfectly fine slash maybe even really good role for him going forward. Scally is kind of the token positive out of a really bleak group right now. Hey, Joe, you know who is doing well? Bring it. Future USMNT manager Pellegrino Matarazzo saved hey. with Hoffenheim. Uh, don't know if they will end up qualifying for Europe. Feels unlikely, but a, a strong season and a good bounce back for Matarazzo. Happy to see him having success in the Bundesliga. Is that Wayne Jersey? Wayne, New Jersey's very own? That is indeed is that- Fountain of Wayne's New Jersey's own, yes. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Good stuff. Uh, quick look, Graham, at League R, where Kiel surprise, PSG are top of the pile. But uh, those plucky underdogs at Jim Ratcliffe's niece in second place. Yeah. So, as you say, Ryan, <laughs> obviously it seems like... I genuinely got confused. I know I shouldn't have. But for a moment, I thought you were saying N-I-E-C-E. And I was like, wow, is she, is she running the team? Like, that's really <laughs> impressive. I forgot that there's a team named Nice. I'm smart. Anyway, sorry, Graham. And, and the, the team's named after a big city <laughs> that's a, yeah. that exists in France. Um, the city's called Nice, <laughs> Of course, yeah. Did you not know that? Like yeah. the biscuit mm-hmm. that you get. I don't yeah. know. It's Nietzsche. It's actually Nietzsche. <laughs> of course. Well, let's talk about Nietzsche. Uh, obviously, it seems like PSG are going to stroll to the league on title, uh, maybe literally, given Lucho's style of play. But Nice being behind them in second place is, is quite notable because of the Enios thing that you referenced there, Ryan. So they, they were bought by Jim Ratcliffe a few years ago. And until this season, they haven't b- really been able to do much. But this season, things have finally clicked. Um, they tried to appoint Graham Potter in the summer. I am so annoyed. I had that in my notes for yesterday's show when we're talking about Graham Potter to Manchester United that was a big part of my argument as to why he will end up as Manchester United manager as the Enios already uh, have tried to appoint him anyway I'm mentioning it now I'm covering all bases now but basically they they tried to appoint him in the summer he turned him down they hired Francesco Farioli instead a young Italian coach who had been working in, in Turkey hold my hands up I hadn't heard of him but he's done really well at Nice and he's made them defensively solid they have one of the best defensive records in Europe I've seen comparisons between how Nice build out from the back and and invite pressure and the way that Brighton do it under Roberto De Zerbi which makes sense because Farioli used to work for De Zerbi as a coach at Sassuolo so while this season probably won't have a league title in it for Nice I'm interested in seeing how 2024 pans out for them because you can't help but look at them and now that Enios are in the door at, at, at Manchester United, you can't help but kind of draw a comparison between the two and think, well, you know, Nice are doing well now. Is that going to translate into success for Manchester United? Probably not. There's a curse at Old Trafford, as we all know. Long may it rain. Sorry, I didn't say that. Uh, uh, one last league to look at, Joe. The Eredivisie. When we checked in on Ajax a few weeks ago on the big thing, it was a disaster for them. Circling the relegation zone, Czechs League, oh, they're fifth. Yeah, this was always inevitable, and we talked about that, right? We've talked about that every single time we've talked about Ajax this year. Yes, there are flaws for them, 
Flaws mean you're not winning the title. They don't mean you're getting relegated. And even though they struggled really, really mightily at the beginning of the season, they were always going to bounce back. Their talent level is far too high. They've got an interim manager, uh, <laughs> at least until the end of this season. They just found a new director of football at the end of November. They have now won seven of their last 11 games and drew two more. So that's results in nine of 11 and, and really positive ones overall. Like you said, fifth now instead of being threatened by relegation. They're stable enough on the field and they are working off the field on, on trying to rebuild. Ajax has always been a club where there are people trying to grab power, right? There's always been sort of a sense of instability. And when you've got key front office people sending pictures that they absolutely should not and, and having to leave the club... Like, that's going to start off a chain of events that leads to chaos, and even more chaos than normal. Ajax now at a, a much more stable spot. We'll see sort of where these new hires on the managerial front, which will, the meaningful one will happen in the offseason, and the, the new director of football. We'll see how those things actually yeah. impact the club. Their new director of football was hired from Queen's Park in Scotland. So even though he's a Dutchman, Scotland, if, if Ajax enjoy a turnaround, we'll claim some form of six. Uh, we'll claim a hand in that turnaround as, as a country. I also want to give credit talking about front office members. Uh, credit to Ernie Stewart's agent for the, the timing of going from being, you know, uh, in the in the front office really at U.S. Soccer being the sporting director there, to, to taking a moderately big club job with PSV, but usually a PSV team that you expect to be in a title race, timing that move just right with Ajax's implosion such that you are the obvious favorite. Yes, there are other good teams in the Eredivisie. Of course there are. Feyenoord, very good. Twente, good. Azed, not bad this year either. Like, timing that move just right with Ajax's downfall, at least temporarily, is a genius move because mm -hmm. PSV are still perfect, and we still look really stupid, guys, just as the, the quick check-in. We said PSV really wouldn't make it through that next stretch of games. They had, I think, Twente, they had Feyenoord, they had Azed. Yeah, there's still 16 wins from 16 games in the Eredivisie so far, and they're still really, really fun to watch. So credit to Ernie Stewart's agent, to Ernie Stewart, to PSV's players, all that jazz. Uh, they are the top team in the Eredivisie by a mile right now. Yeah, very impressive. They are the only perfect team of all the leagues we've spoken of so far, Joe. Their goal difference, plus 50. That's it's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. Not bad. That's absolutely right. absurd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, European leagues, consider yourselves updated by the Total Soccer Show. Taylor Rockwell, thank you as always for your contribs. Thank you, my friend. Joe saying PSV are ahead by a mile. In football table terms, they're ahead by 10 points. That does feel like a mile. Is that the appropriate level? Is one mile equal to 10 points? 1.6 kilometers, yeah. Okay, 1.6 <laughs> points. Okay, now I'm confused. <laughs> Graham Rutherford, thank you very much for uh, laughing and indulging my metrics system joke there. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Don't, don't make me do maths. That will not end well for anyone. <laughs> and Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always, my good man. The pleasure was mine, Ryan. And listener, the pleasure was ours for having your ears listen to our voices for an hour talking about the European leagues. Thank you very much for doing that. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye!